about 10 minutes ago in the middle of worship, or probably 15 minutes ago, I was sitting there worshiping, and the sudden thought of like, what are you doing, you idiots? And I have a lot of my messages on here, and I'm thinking, can I teach a different message tonight? Is it too late? Did anybody read the email? You know, and, and um, I have no idea why uh, I'm jumping into the topics that nobody else talks about, but here we are. And... <laughs> Uh, the genesis of how we're kind of arriving at these topics is that I've been trying to go verse by verse, word by word, through the Gospels and through the entire New Testament and to identify patterns. I don't like formulas. Uh, and, and I want you to hear me that what I'm going to talk about tonight and the next couple of weeks on healing and all this other stuff, don't misunderstand me for formulas. But as I look at scriptures, I like to see patterns. And I believe that there's revelation in seeing the patterns there. And so I'm going to give you a um, fire hose in the mouth of Scripture tonight. It's not to bore you. It's actually to show you patterns. And so have your ears here and, and have your eyes see what the Word of God says about these different topics. And I want you to not take my word for it either. Um, I'm not saying this, thus the Lord or any of that stuff. I'm just saying, here's what God's word says. Tonight's mostly going to be about his word. I'm going to arrange it in such a way that we can ask some interesting questions. So there's going to be several, um, I don't know how many, but probably maybe two or three uh, messages on this topic. And this is a hot debate topic. Um, healings is like right now, kind of in our time, is, is one of the hot button issues of the church. It's a hot button issues in denominations it's all over the place. It's a, a place of division and disagreement. So my purpose for you is to say, let you decide. Here's what I think the scriptures are showing. Here are the patterns that I'm seeing, and I'm going to let you decide. All right? So no one send me angry emails. Tonight's not the angry email night. Probably next week or the week after will be the angry email night. So tonight, what are we going to cover? I'd like to cover first, is it God's will to heal? A lot of disagreement on that. Another question, did Jesus pick and choose what to heal? Did he pick and choose who to heal? What is the purpose of healing, which is what we'll spend probably the majority of the night tonight on, and can you defeat the purpose of healings? And so before we talk about the whys and the hows and why nots and all the different exceptions and different things, we actually need to have a thorough understanding of healing before we can pray for healing. Because I've, what I've learned from this experience and going through this is that I'm going to confess to you guys that I listen to truth that comes from my mouth, but don't look at my life. Because in the next couple of weeks, God has been convicting me of how far I fall short in this topic. And so, hear truth, because I believe what is truth, but God is, is beginning to work in me of saying, gee, pal, <laughs> you have a, a big gap here to cover. And I'm okay with that. But we all on this together. I'm not saying I got this all figured. I'm just trying to help us all look at it together, all right? Um, so, uh, I like that. Um, <laughs> there's a reason why this is so controversial. Um, a lot of it is, is that, in myself included, when we hear of like a, a healing or testimony, like there's part of us like, really? Come on. You know, you have an x-ray, you have a photo, like part of us, and I don't know how it is, but I'm just speaking for me. But so many times there's healings and I'm like, placebo effect, I don't know, and, and I, I really struggle with that. I struggle for the majority of my life, and so I've, um, being involved in this community, in this culture, it's helped, like, pull that out, and I've been exposed to amazing things, and there's no shortage, what I've found in this hunt, there's no shortage of testimonies for healings, and we're going to talk about why in a couple weeks, but there's a lot of testimonies of healings, particularly in places like Bethel and Heidi Baker and like other countries, like there's like crazy testimonies of healings in other countries. And we're starting to see a lot here too, which is awesome. But for me, part of it was that I wanted to see something that I knew. It was like, gosh, God, if I could have such an undeniable example, man, it helped me so much. And so I'm trying to expose myself. And God has given me those times. Don't get me wrong. He's given me those times, but I still wrestle. There's a particular video that I think we might be able to show um, that for me, when I found this quite a while ago, it was like, whoa, I really have to seek out the scriptures and I have to help us all together come and look at what the Bible says about it. So if we happen to have uh, that video, we're going to play it. Now, this is a man who has not been able to walk. His, he's crippled in his hips and his legs and his ankles. 
is how we know that that's legitimate. The reaction from the crowd. Do you see what happened? Everybody's sitting there just stoic. And not only does he like kind of walk a little bit with like the help, he like throws up and starts dancing. This like crazy response. And then you see the whole entire crowd jump up. They all get down on their face. They start crying, bursting out like that. You know those people know that man. And so see such a, a powerful testament like that. It's like, gosh, like we have to come to a place where our minds, we either believe that healing is for today or it isn't. And we first start there. There's, I, I hope we all get experiences to witness things um, personally, but something like that where you get to see what happens in the audience, what happens in the church, what will then happen from there, I'm sure sets forth an incredible tidal wave in that church. And we'll see how instrumental that is tonight. So the first question for us tonight is, is, is it God's will to heal people? There's a common belief that healing is contingent upon God's will. Every prayer I've probably ever prayed for healing starts like this. God, if it's your will, would you heal? And we'll understand why that is actually a prayer of doubt. And then, of course, it's easy because what happens when we pray that is that we get a nice little disclaimer, right? We get a nice little disclaimer, like, well, if it you know, didn't happen well, I guess it wasn't God's will, you know? Like, don't take it up with me. And so we, we pray our ways into disclaimers. We pray our ways into unbelief and littleness of faith and pray our way into having things not happen. And so we reflect on it and say, God, it must have been something else. It wasn't your will. But let's take a look at that particular topic, Matthew 8. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, everyone say willing. willing. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy cleansed. This exact story is retold in saying that Jesus is willing in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, and Luke chapter 5. So how else do we know that it's God's will for people to be healed? Here's another, another big sign is that Jesus healed people who didn't ask to be healed nor expect to be healed. Jesus said, go heal the sick, right? He didn't say, go take a survey of those who need and desire healing. He's like, go heal the sick, and so when we see Jesus, there's five times, actually six times, where there's healings to people who did not ask nor expect it. I'm just going to give you the, the short rundown. Luke chapter 7. Jesus healed a woman and it said that he had compassion on her. I'm sorry. Jesus encountered a woman whose only son died and it says that Jesus had compassion on her. And then he touched the coffin. He just showed up. He wasn't, people weren't coming and say, hey, would you resurrect her son? But he had compassion on her because the son was the woman's only child. And he touched the coffin. John chapter 11, Jesus resurrects Lazarus, right? He, he was just going to go see him because he was sick. And he shows up there and he's like, well, I'm here. I'm going to raise him from the tomb. And it says that Jesus moved deeply within himself, came to the tomb. It was upon Jesus' own initiative. Matthew 12, 9, a man in the synagogue was a bystander and had a withered hand. And he commanded him to stretch out his hand just because he was there with the Pharisees and arguing about the Sabbath. He's like, hey, you, you look like you need healing. Be healed. <laughs> Luke chapter 13, a woman who was bent over for 18 years, he called over and says, hey, you, come over here. Woman, you are free from your sickness. And whoop, she's fine. Luke chapter 14, verse 1, in the house of one of the Pharisees, Jesus having dinner with the Pharisees, Probably didn't know that, that he did that often. And a man who had dropsy, I think that's how it's pronounced, or severe edema, which is like enlarged limbs or something, like really bad stuff. He took hold of man and just and said, be healed in front of the Pharisees. He wasn't expecting it. And then Acts chapter 3, and so it's not just Jesus. This passed on to the apostles. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and I'm going to read this one. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. Again, he wasn't asking to be healed, right? 
He's begging for alms, but Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazareth, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Kind of sounds like our video, right? So Jesus and the apostles, they healed, listen, according to God's intention, not people's request. Maybe one of the reasons we are not seeing so much healing is we're waiting for people to ask for healing instead of going and healing. Why are we waiting? When Jesus says, go heal the sick, why are we like, hey, so you want to get healed? Like, why? If Jesus and the, the apostles, six references, they're healing people who are just like pretty much bystanders. So yes, it is the will of God that people are healed because Jesus said it explicitly and he healed people according to God's desires, not the people's desires. Okay, so well, maybe it's God's will to heal some people and some things, but not everything, right? Again, one of those disclaimers, well, maybe it's God's not, you know, he can heal some things, but not others. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Did Jesus pick and choose what to heal? Did he ever say, yeah, I like this, I don't like that, I'm going to heal this? And the common thing you might hear is that there are specific healing powers for some things and not others. And that would mean that Jesus plays favorites with healings. That means that there's certain ailments that are more uh, prone for Jesus to have more compassion on. Well, let's see if that theory is true in the Bible. Matthew 4, 24. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill— those suffering with various diseases and pains. Everyone say pains. pains. Demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So here we see, what did Jesus heal? Sickness, disease, pain, demonic oppression, neurological issues, and paralysis. The thing I never knew in there was that pain, that Jesus cared about pain. He wasn't just content with the big stuff. Matthew 9, 35 says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing, look, every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Jesus did not pick and choose what to heal. Jesus' heart is about people, not their condition. Jesus' focus was always on people, not their issue. So Jesus doesn't play favorites. Clearly, throughout the scriptures, Jesus does not play favorites on what to heal, but you know what? We do. Jesus doesn't pick favorites, but we do. We seem to pray for big things, and we contend for faith for big things, but we don't even have faith for small things. Newsflash. All healings are small things to God. If we don't have faith to pray for our headache, why would we have faith to heal someone's broken leg? When we think about the nature in which we concentrate healing on, we ignore all the, the daily pain and we look for the, the Goliaths, right? And we expect, we don't have the faith for a hangnail, but we're going to try and have faith to bring someone out of some crazy crippling disease, I think we play favorites. Maybe if we want to be the ones that are calling people um, from diseases and paralysis, that maybe we should actually start praying on the small stuff. Because I think that we are, are seeking for a measure of faith in, in that kind of you know, big deal, but yet we don't, we don't even contend for the faith for the small stuff. Are you with me? Yeah. That our eyes are always on the bigger stuff, and, and Jesus is like, there's opportunity for healing all around you. So what is eligible for healing? Anything that is not the way it should be in the kingdom. What's eligible for healing, right? Jesus said the kingdom of God has come upon you, so it stands to reason that God wants to heal anything in you that does not line up with the kingdom. That's a wide variety of, of stuff. The kingdom is upon you, and he's talking about healing. So what does God want to heal? Anything that's in the kingdom that isn't on here. You have to ask yourself, 
this thing that I have, is this in the kingdom? Am I going to go with this to heaven or not? Okay, so if God is willing to heal and he's willing to heal everything, surely he picks favorite people to heal, right? Surely there's like some clause in there. It's not God's will to heal every person, is it? So then we have to ask, did Jesus pick and choose who to heal? It's common belief that you don't get healed, that it was Jesus deciding whether or not to heal you, that there is a, um, a decision that he makes about you. Commonly, I hear people who, they think about their own life in their own merit to be healed. I don't know where that comes from, but it's wrong. And some people believe it kind of like karma, like, well, if you're really good, then maybe you'll have God come and heal you for this other thing. But that is, is not what's in the scripture at all. Let's look at Luke chapter 4, verse 40. It says, and while the sun was setting, all, everyone say all, all who had any sick with various diseases brought them to him and laying his hands on every one of them. Everyone say every one of them. And he was healing them. Every one of them. Matthew 8, 16. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were ill. Luke 6, verse 17. And he descended with them and stood on a level place and a great throng from all of Judea who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the multitude were trying to touch him for the power was from him and healing them all. When people say, well, it's God's will that doesn't heal you, it's like, show me that in the scriptures. Because here in all these different accounts, it's saying Jesus healed them all. He's like, I'm here all night. You know, line them up. I'll shoot them down. And when Jesus healed, his intention was for all people. The scriptures took particular notice. I'm reading from different books, different stories, different scenarios. I'm not repeating the same story. The scriptures took particular notice that all were healed. It's very important for us to know that. So what we want to spend the bulk of my message on is what is the purpose of healing? Because when we understand the purpose of healing, now we can begin to ask a whole bunch of other questions. God's intentional. And if he's willing to heal and he doesn't discriminate against ailment nor people, surely there's a purpose. If we say that God desires to heal, that he does heal, that he heals everything and every person, then that's his, his intention, his plan. There must be a purpose in there. So, and I believe from the scriptures, I'm going to show you, I believe there are five primary purposes for why God heals and why they're present. And there might be more. This is just me giving it to you. The first one is this, is to demonstrate the power of God and to reveal God. To demonstrate the power of God and reveal God. John 11, verse 38. So Jesus began, Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. This is the story of, of Lazarus. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it. So that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. Jesus says, I do this so that you will see the glory that you would recognize God. So God's purpose in healings and miracles is to show himself powerful and reveal himself and his nature to his children. I, I firmly believe that God delights in demonstrating his power. I don't believe that God showboats, but I don't think he shies away from the attention either. I think he likes to, to show that I am the God who calls it forth. I'm the God who pulls it off. How many healings are there in all his name? He's like, I will show you how many healings there are in Jesus' name. I believe that God stakes his reputation on that he is the one true God that has the power to heal and to save. Yeah. 
And so God delights being noticed, I firmly believe. Did you catch the other thing that happened there in that miracle? This is purpose number two. The purpose of healing is to bring salvation and belief. The purpose of healing is to bring salvation and belief. Acts 9, verse 40. But Peter sent them out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. See what happened there? The healing was the context for the fame of Jesus all over the region. The reason that salvation sprung up was because that girl got healed. John 20, verse 30. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, meaning that I'm giving you the best I got, but it's saying here that there are other healings that they did not record. So, again, not formulas, but patterns. But these have been written down so that you may, look, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The mission of Jesus is to save the lost. Amen? That's what he came to earth to save the lost. And you, in order to be saved, you needed to believe so healings is the mechanism for which people believe that, yeah, he is the son of God. He is the one who heals. He is the one who redeems. And so when Jesus healed, his aim was for people to recognize him as the true God. Are you with me? Every time we heal people in Jesus' name, we are authenticating Jesus is real. Every healing in Jesus' name authenticates that Jesus is real and he's alive. Jesus healed and people believed and were saved. It goes in that order. Jesus healed, people believed, people were saved over and over again. Purpose number three for healings is that it gives a taste of the kingdom of heaven. Healing gives people a taste and an experience of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus several times linked the kingdom of God to specific activities. Jesus linked the kingdom of God, heaven, to specific activities. What are those? Matthew 10, 7 and 8. And as you go preaching, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, comma, raise the dead, comma, cleanse the lepers, comma, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Luke 10. And heal those who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Healing is representation of the kingdom being near you. Luke chapter 9, verse 11. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Kingdom healing, kingdom healing, kingdom healing. Now, why did Jesus link healing in the kingdom so much? Remember 1 John 3, that Jesus came and appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer, remember? On earth as it is in heaven. So healing is representation of what heaven is all about. Heaven is all about restoration. Heaven is all about freedom. And so as he came to destroy the works of the devil, we'll talk about where sickness came from next week probably. He came to destroy those works and to bring the kingdom near us, meaning that every single time there's healing, there's freedom, it's an essence, it's an experience, it's a taste of the kingdom of God in heaven. Amen? If we believe that sickness, disease, and evil is a result of the devil and the fall, it should come as no surprise to us that the kingdom activities would reverse those consequences. I'll say that again. If we believe that sickness is a result of the fall, which I do, hopefully you do too. God's not making you sick to teach you anything. We'll talk about that too later. If you believe that, it would stand to reason that Jesus who came to destroy the works of the devil would reverse those activities because that is what's happening in the kingdom. So, healings are kingdom experience. Now, why is that important? Kingdom experiences give us kingdom cravings. 
Kingdom experiences, healings, the miraculous, God's power showing up. Kingdom experiences give us kingdom cravings. When we participate in the miraculous and the transformational work of healings with God, we are experiencing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Exactly his prayer. That's what's happening. We're saying there's a slice of heaven in this activity right now. And that experience gives us context. It gives us context for the glory and the kingdom. Now, um, one way to, uh, have you ever gone to like the mall, right? Like the food court? And um, I have a food court next to work. And there's something unique about there when you go there. Do you know what it is? Free sample? Free sample? <laughs> right? So one time I was there, and there was some little shred of meat on some toothpick that I went and tried. And I'm like, what is this? It's euro lamb? Oh, I don't like lamb. I was like, I'll have that. <laughs> And so every Thursday, I have this euro. And it's about like Tuesday, Wednesday, I start getting this craving for euros. I'm like, oh, I could really go for that. <laughs> I crave bacon because I've tasted bacon before. <laughs> Another way. I got to get bacon in here, all right? <laughs> you guys are wonderful. People send me all sorts of bacon-flavored whatever, and it's like, I just like bacon, like... Bacon solo is, I'm, I'm digressing. It, it, that, but I crave it because I've tasted it, right? You can't crave something you haven't tasted. You can't crave something you haven't tasted. It's hard to desire something that you've never experienced. God says, or Jesus said, uh, the, your will on earth as it is in heaven. If we want to crave the things of God, we kind of need to experience and taste the things of God. So the experiences we get give us a taste of saying, that is what heaven is like, and that is what I want here. So how do you develop desire and a craving for the kingdom of God? If you never have experienced anything of the kingdom, it's impossible to crave it. That's why it's so important that even if, if our faith says, whoa, I, I have a really hard time getting there. I have a really hard time like, believing. We need to like, throw ourselves into the mix where that stuff is happening. If we don't have an appetite for it now, we need to have our brain tell us, I need to put my butt in a seat where that's happening and get a taste of it. Because if once I taste it, then I'll crave it. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to compel people to get excited about healing when they never have themselves experienced it. And they haven't tasted it for themselves. And so you can't give what you don't have. I'm convinced that a lot of why we don't have healing is because we ourselves have never experienced healing. So how can we go impart healing if we've never experienced it ourselves? It's important that we get a taste of the kingdom so we crave it. We know what it feels like. We know what it sounds like. We have the faith reassured for it to go and partition it to happen. How do you give people experience the kingdom if you've never tasted it. You have to give them an answer and an experience and an encounter that surpasses intellect. Yeah. We're so busy talking about intellect. The smartest people of the Bible, right? Uh, in the, back in the Old Testament. Smartest guys, I mean, they were really into memorization. They like, would wear like, the scripture on their forehead. When, like, the scripture says, like, meditate on a day and night and have it on, on your mind, they, like, literally, like, you know, thumbtack it onto their head. Like, literally, it's on my mind, you know? That's how, <laughs> how much they took it. And they, with all their intellect, they could not see the Messiah, which all the scriptures foretold about. We can have all the intellect and miss the purpose and the meaning. Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisee, a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, Hebrews, and all those different things, he like boasts about his credentials as the smartest guy. He can reason everybody to death. He has all the apologetics. He has all the right reasons. He's got every Old Testament prophecy memorized. And this is what he said about giving people an experience with God. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yes. If you build your faith on intellect, someone who's smarter than you can come destroy your faith. 
That wasn't in my notes, but that's a good word. (laughs) If you build your faith on intellect and someone can come and out-debate you, they can shipwreck your faith. Because they can reason you out. If you reasoned yourself into God, it means you can be reasoned out. If you've been convinced in your mind to the existence of God, you can be reasoned in your mind out of the existence of God. What Paul is saying here is that I gave you a demonstration of power, something that blows your mind so that it doesn't matter what somebody else says because you, you know what you know, what you felt, what you saw, what you experienced. And that trumps intellect, right? I'm a firm believer that we do not seek the experience, but I'm a firm believer that we do not solely rest on the intellect. I want to go first to know that no matter what, my faith will be not, they will not be shaken by any clever words or any debate artists. I like to debate too. That, that no matter what, someone's not going to come and reason me out. Why? Because I have an experience of the kingdom of power that can never be reasoned against. I've seen and... I've seen things, I've experienced things, I've felt things that no matter what anybody else came and say, like, hey, you know what this is like, I don't care what you say. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're wasting your breath. I mean, I can just, you know, angry birds all day long while you talk because it's not going to do anything for me. <laughs> but you have to ask yourself, your life, your faith, what is it producing for other people to taste? Because your life is a sample You're a a little shred of meat on a toothpick around the world. Free sample? Your life. You don't know it, but you are a shred of meat on a toothpick that says, try Jesus. Whether you're evangelizing, whether you're preaching or not, your life is a sample for Jesus. The question is, are people going to like what they taste? They're either going to taste shaky intellect or they're going to find, whoa, there's something about you. I don't know what it is. If someone's like, oh, that's such an impressive reasoning, you've done the wrong job. When someone's like, I don't know why I just need to hug you or why I'm crying around you, like, that's a really good sign. (laughs) Because if you, oh, man, there's so many topics I want to share with you guys. (laughs) Oh, man. John 12. Jesus says, now's the time for the judgment of the world. And the enemy is about to be cast out. And when he is, and I'm lifted up from earth, I will draw all men to myself. All men. Every man. We're going to talk about redeeming this whole election, predestination stuff. We're going to spend a night on that. I can't wait. You need to know that right now, every soul that you encounter, Jesus says, I'm drawing them to me. Every soul. I don't care who it is. I had lunch with a Satanist, skinhead, white supremacist, self-proclaimed Nazi. He like told me the 1488. I don't even know what that even means. But he's like telling me about it. I'm like, oh, okay, you know. (laughs) And I'm like there with him. I was like, I'm with you because I know Jesus is drawing you to him. You might get mad at me right now. You might not like it. I was actually really afraid for about 10 minutes for my life. <laughs> I was like sitting there with them, like talking. He's like, oh, something's going to go down. Because he like saw a car pull up and he's like all like shifty. And I'm like, oh boy. You know, like I, I, I would not fare well in street warfare. I would just, I'm telling you. But I'm there because Lord... You're drawing him. No matter what his mouth says, no matter what tattoo on his body says, no matter what he's done, no matter what's coming out of his mouth, you are drawing him. And my life right now is a little sample for him. My life right now is either going to nudge him closer to you or it's going to nudge him the other way. It's one or the other. Just you're either hot or cold. You're either hot or cold. Your life and how you live and what you do with your life and what you do with that little thing, which is a big thing called the Holy Spirit inside you, and how you let that out and how you let that influence people will either nudge them one way or the other. Amen. So it's important that you taste the kingdom so that you can paint a picture for what it is like in the kingdom so they themselves can crave the kingdom. Maybe we don't have as many Christians because we don't paint a very good picture of something to be desired. Maybe the world looks at us and says, that's what Jesus does for me? 
pass. But when we live powerfully, when we live in peace, when our life works, when we have authority, when we can have things happen for us in the name of Jesus, people will beg to know why. And the scriptures say that. Be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason. It says, if you're living a life that's sampling the kingdom for people, people are going to beg you for a response. They're going to beg you for an explanation. And all we need to do is just be prepared at that moment. Are you guys all right? Purpose number four. Purpose number four for healing. It's to create recognition of God and celebration of God. It's to create recognition of God and celebration of God. It creates an atmosphere of worship and glorification and joy. Healing releases joy. Healing releases celebration. Healing releases acknowledgement of Jesus. It's really key that we know that, that when, when someone gets healed, it's not like, sweet, now they don't have to go to the doctor next week. It's know that Jesus is alive and he has power. Yes. That's the point. Yes. Matthew 15, 30, and large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the cripple restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. They didn't miss it. The God of Israel. These are like a lot of Jews, and like they they get it. They're like, yes. They made the connection. Their response was was in recognition, not of healing, not of, oh, wow, he's better, and, and he wasn't better before, but that God of Israel is alive. God of Israel is here right now. Luke chapter 18, verse 43. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. God takes notice of those who rejoice in what he does. Let me say that again. God takes notice of those who rejoice in what he does. He also takes notice of those who do not rejoice in what he does. Don't believe me? Glad you asked. Luke chapter 17, <laughs> verse 12. As he, this is Jesus, as he entered a village, 10, everyone say 10. 10. 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So they all recognized that Jesus had power and authority. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, everyone say one. one. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this one foreigner? Jesus was like, what? No thank you card from the nine? He's like, did you see that? Did you see? No, no, no one liked my Facebook status on that healing there? He's like, that was good stuff. You know that when you, like, you post something good and you're like, oh, this is going to be a ton of counts. And like, like they didn't like it? How did that happen? You know, I'm just saying what you're thinking. But Jesus, Jesus took notice of those who received the healing and didn't recognize him and give thanks and rejoice. The one out of 10, 10%, <laughs> turn back, rejoicing, worshiping, celebrating, acknowledging have you ever given a meaningful gift and then not felt that the person even acknowledged or appreciated it? They didn't even give you thanks for it? I'm not talking about like, oh, they you know, sent me an email, thank you, not a card. You know, like it's not that. It's, it's, it's something that stands out. It's the reaction that you put a lot of care. You thought about them and you did something meaningful for them and it just went nowhere. I had a friend, this is, um, I, I forgot about this. I was, like, I, was, I was like, I know there's something here for me in this topic. Um, I totally forgot how I got into fundraising. So that's like kind of my, my um, day job is to do like fundraising software. 
about nine years ago, a friend uh, got in a terrible accident. And I just felt just convicted, like, I got to do as much as I can for him. So I created websites. I created events and fundraisers. I did magazine ads. I did press releases. I got, you know, these big athletes to come to, like, this huge day. I got raffles. And we raised 150000 Well, let me say, I... I'll just say it. I raised $150,000 on a PayPal button. I was getting all sorts of like people from PayPal like, what is going on? Like it was just in like a span of like three or four weeks. It was crazy. And not a single follow-up from the family. When it ended, after I finished, I, I never even heard from the guy again. It was crazy. And I was like, wow. I don't know if I've... Maybe I need to go back in Christ's life and revisit that one, because that one's like, <laughs> Yeah. That was a bummer. Because to me, it wasn't about the money. It was about him. I didn't care. Like, whatever. Like, the money is the money, but you, your heart, my love for you and care for you and my belief that you are going to get through this is what mattered. And when that wasn't, when that wasn't even recognized. It was so devastating for me. You don't give to be recognized, but you give, but you may not continue to give if the gift has no effect. The lesson I learned from that is like, I really extended myself. And, and I, didn't, I didn't want to thank you. I wanted a heart in return. I wanted a lasting relationship. I wanted acknowledgement of my care for him, and I didn't get that. So what happened to me is that it just allowed me to shut down and feel like, I'm not doing that again. You don't give to be recognized, but you may not continue to give if the gift has no effect. If the gift does not reach the target, if the gift does not reach the heart of the person, you'll probably never give again. A gift giver gives out a love for the recipient, not because they love the gift. Though I did give a gift um, to Mike that I was like, ooh, I might keep this for myself. This is pretty nice. <laughs> That's not the righteous love of God there. That is unrighteous. <laughs> a gift giver gives gifts to demonstrate love. If a gift does not make the recipient of the gift appreciate and acknowledge the gift giver, then the gift has failed. God is giving gifts and healings. If it doesn't have the intended effects, then that healing more or less failed. Because God is purposeful in the healings. If the gift you give does not have any, does not have the effect you wanted, how likely are you going to give the same gift again? And so as we, in the next couple of weeks, look at why there's not healings, we kind of need to ask ourselves, what has been the history to now? How has been my response to now? And like any other person, when God gives gifts, he likes to be acknowledged, remembered, and celebrated. I wonder how many times God's heart has broken when he's done the outrageous things for us and he's got nothing in return. Purpose number five. Man, did not mean to scratch that scab. <laughs> All right, purpose number five. It shows God is active and alive today. Today. Everyone say today. today. Mark chapter 16, 15 through 18. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. Listen. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. That's another term for evil spirits, not actual snakes. And if they drink deadly poison, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will, will recover. Jesus is staking his reputation of the activities of the kingdom on you and what you do with the Spirit. And so when we participate in healing, it documents and proves that God is alive and active today. 
No one, basically no one on the earth doubts that Jesus existed. Every anthropologist, every historian, every person more or less believes that Jesus was real. No one's going to debate you on that. But very few people believe that Jesus lives today and that he's active today. They all believe he was 2,000 years ago, but I would say most people, even a lot of Christians, they believe Jesus is active right now today, moving. Because Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. That's a present tense. That's not like... I got my jail out of free card, get out of jail free card, and I'm just waiting to get my pass, you know, up to upstairs. No, it's like he's active and alive today right now. And when you add up all of Jesus' miracles, you add up all of his healings, you add up all of the um, casting out of demons, it counts for about 80% of Jesus' time. 80% of the time, he's like doing something in that realm. Now, if Jesus spent 80% of his time healing the sick, casting out demons, all that stuff, and Jesus lives through us, um, how are we doing in that department? 1 John 2.6 says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. If Jesus spent 80% of his time bringing the kingdom to earth and Jesus lives through us, how does our life match up? Now, I believe that those are the five purposes for healing and why healing is for today. I believe those are um, the purposes. But um, just because those are his purposes does not mean that's the result. How I many you know that just because you have purpose for something does not mean that's the outcome? Amen? Are you guys good for me to go just on one more? Okay. If you got to go, I get it. Um, you can reject the purposes of God. It's really important you know this. You can reject the purposes of God. God has a purpose for healings. That purpose is that they should impact you. But that doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. Wait, are you saying that you can thwart the purposes of God? Yes. Now before you grab pitchforks and yell heresy and come up here, look at Luke chapter 7 verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for them. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for them. Those guys are kind of like the villains, right? And what it's saying here is that God didn't make them villains. They just were resisting what God wanted to do in them. God's plan wasn't for them to react how they did. Now regarding miracles and healings, we see people rejecting God's purpose um, for the healings and miracles all the time with people. Let me give you a couple of passages. John 12, 37. But though Jesus had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Though he performed many signs before him, but they were not believing in him. That's one of his expressed missions why he does it. Matthew 11, verse 20. Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. So finally, can you defeat the purpose of a healing? You bet you can. You bet you can. Can you de defeat the purposes of God for you in your life? Sure. Absolutely. You're not a robot. You have a free choice to participate in the workings of God. You have a free choice of how you want to respond to God and his move. You have a, a choice of how to respond to that video, to whatever healing you see. And it disproves the common cry, God, if you're out there, give me a sign and I will believe. How many of us have prayed that, right? I prayed that a ton. It's like, God, if, the, if you're real, just give me a sign. Well, actually, the scriptures show us that the chances are you won't. The chances in the scripture are that you'll say, God, give me a sign. He'll give you a sign and then you won't believe. <laughs> if you are asking to seek a sign for the purpose of believing, by definition, I believe you've disqualified yourself from seeing a sign. Because he's like, I, I, can, I can do it, but it's not going to change you. Think about this. Remember when we talked about demons and where demons came from? Fallen angels, right? They're in heaven. They're like next to the ten-headed lion that's got like 48 eyes. Like it's like, is there any doubt if you're in heaven? And they rebelled? Really? If an angel can rebel in heaven face to face with God, you can have a sign and not believe. 
Jesus addresses this very notion, Matthew chapter 16, verse 4. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And what doesn't say after here is like, what's the sign of Jonah? <laughs> They're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. I can't find anybody who writes about this. What is the sign of Jonah? Everyone's like, la, 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 we didn't hear that. They're just going to assume, oh, the sign of Jonah, of course. I don't know what the sign of Jonah is. You know, like... That's how vague this is. What is the sign of Jonah? I believe the sign of Jonah is that you can reject God's purpose. I believe the sign of Jonah is that you can reject God's purpose even in the face of signs and wonders. What was God's purpose for Jonah? It was to go to Nineveh. And Jonah resisted and rejected God's purpose. God spoke to Jonah, said, go to Nineveh. He's like, nope. The storm followed Jonah on a boat. Nope. That wasn't enough. The men on the boat threw dice and said, Jonah's responsible for the storm. Jonah's like, nope. Let's throw Jonah off the boat. Nope. Let's send a whale to swallow Jonah. No. Let's spit Jonah onto the shore. No. Let's have God say, do you want to go to Nineveh again? Okay. <laughs> that was the story of Jonah. How many signs and wonders happened? And ultimately, Jonah, I'm not trying to beat Jonah up here because he saved the entire city. He actually ended up coming through. But the sign of Jonah is that you can have God speak to you directly. And you can rebel. And he can give you another chance. And you can rebel. And you can reject it. And you can reject it over and over and over and over again. The point is, until we personally decide to believe, this is really important, until we personally decide to believe, any sign and wonder can come and we may still not believe. When you decide that miracles are for you, when you decide miracles are for today, when you decide that miracles are God's will and purpose for everybody, when you decide that, then maybe you'll believe in them. But don't wait it for the other way around. Because you might not ever believe. If you're waiting for the right sign, I'm telling you, the right sign may never come. And isn't it funny that in Matthew 16, when Jesus is talking about, you know, answering the people that want a sign, what was he doing 80% of the time? If I was Jesus, I'd like, have you seen what I've been doing? Is that not enough? What other signs do you want? I'm calling dead people up for crying out loud. Like, what other sign would you want from me? And still, in the face of all that, they're like, give me a sign. So, what it, how does this relate back to healing? <laughs> and I'm going to close with this, and maybe if, if we still want the band to come up, you guys can come up. God wants you to recognize his power and his existence, and that might be the purpose for why you see a healing or experience a healing, but you can still reject that purpose. You can still say, I don't know about God. You might, God's purpose for you might be salvation for you, might be salvation for your family, for whoever else. And that might be the purpose for a healing in you or someone around you. And you can still reject that salvation and people can still reject it. Experiencing what heaven is like might be the purpose for you to be healed or experience a healing and you can still reject it. Celebrating and acknowledging God and his goodness might be the purpose why you get healed and you still have the power and authority to not celebrate and recognize God and reject it. Showing the world that Jesus is active in you might be the purpose for you to be healed or be around healing, but you can still reject it and not participate. God purposes all these things in the presence of healings, but that does not mean that those things happen when healing occurs. Clearly in the scriptures. God designed his purpose and his effects for healings, and clearly we see Jesus lamenting when his purposes didn't come to pass. So that's it for tonight. That's it for the night. That was pretty powerful. 
I was convicted of something. We're actually having a lot of miracles in our Epic Life family. We need to start putting those on our Epic Life uh, wall and just start telling what God's doing because literally every single week, last Thursday night, somebody's mom came and went up for prayer and one of our prayer team guys, literally the mom went to their child and said, are you telling my business here? And the child was like, no, I didn't tell anybody because the person who prayed for him told him everything. And then the mom had uh, torn a ligament in one of their arms and somebody else went up and just put their hands on them and began to touch their arm and they were instantly healed. The mother was instantly healed. The mother happens to be in my phase two and said, I t I'm telling everybody at work, I'm so excited about what God is doing. This week, I'm in Saul's room. We're at the end of the day and I'm laying back on his bed and he's at the foot of it but he's ready to go work out. And he goes, Pops, can you pray for me? I have vertigo so bad, I can, I'm so dizzy. And I'm like, yeah. And I, put, I was laying there, I just put my hand on the side of his head and began to pray. Oh, and I said, so how are you? And he goes, I feel pretty good. I think I could actually go work out. And I go, that's all? And he, he goes, yeah. I go, that's not good enough, stand up. I got mad, I got off the bed and put my hand on either side of, on either ear. And I, I'm like, you will go in the name of Jesus. And we prayed until he was coast clear. God's doing powerful miracles in our family. So start putting those out there because we want to start sharing what he's doing because he's going to start doing a lot of these things. I truly believe that. Eric is not like sitting down and thinking, ah, oh, racking my brain, what should I preach about? No, we share a Dropbox. He's been going through all the gospels and putting in headings everything that God's been doing for how many months? 11 months. So the steak, the filet mignon that you're getting here every Thursday night, it's not coming out of some concordance. It's coming out of reading God's word and systematically looking where do these things go and then getting a revelation because the stuff that you're hearing is pretty powerful stuff. So I want to go back tonight to the last thing he was talking about. You can have all this stuff I tell you every single Thursday, open your heart to God and you can still keep it closed and worship is just songs to you and you make no connection and that's your choice. So I wanna ask you if you're here tonight, if you guys wanna stand, if you're here tonight and you have never made a commitment to Christ, you've never asked him to come into your life and not only be your savior, but your Lord, I just wanna encourage you he loves you, and I want to ask you to make that commitment. If you've never made a commitment to Christ tonight, and um, I'm just going to encourage you to come to the front now, if our prayer team could also come up. But if you've never made a commitment to Christ, open your heart to him tonight. Don't reject him. And if you're a church boy or a church girl, Notice I did not say if you're a part, uh, part of the kingdom. Because church is a cheap word. In our culture, it means nothing. It's sad because it means a lot in the, in the word. But if you're not part of the kingdom, you're a person who comes here and you look one way here and you're different on Facebook or out in your real world. I just want to encourage you tonight. Absolutely no shame and no condemnation. I did that. A whole bunch of my, our leaders came out of that. But I just want to encourage you to commit your life to Christ tonight. Commit yourself to him because he loves you so much. And he wants to, to show you that in so many ways. 
but you got to open your heart. It's really up to you because he's given you everything he can give you.